Last week we were in Matthew 11. If you still have your Bibles out, you might want to turn over there. Uh, We are going to continue in Matthew 11 today. Last week we looked at um, how Jesus responded to John the Baptist's question, are you really the one that we're looking for? Or should we look for another? John most likely expected that Jesus' message would be, the Messiah's message would be in line with his message. His message of repentance and judgment to come. And yet Jesus wasn't giving exactly the same message. Yes, he talked a lot about of repentance and about turning from sin. But Jesus' message came more in the form of healing and agape, of love and forgiveness. We also talked about the fact that Jesus was never critical of John. And yet he didn't really answer John's question outright. Instead, what he told John and really tells us through Matthew, through the written word, is if you're wondering who he is, and if he is really the chosen one of God, look at what he has done. Look at what he is doing, and draw your own conclusions. So, We learned three things last week. Jesus doesn't always answer us straight out. A lot of you know that already, right? Sometimes he lets us find things out on our own. And we, like John, need to look at what he is doing and we need to listen carefully to the word. Because you see, agape is not weakness. Jesus' life, his message did not come out of weakness It came out of a deep inner strength. And the kingdom is advancing. Even if John and sometimes we don't realize that. Now, if you happen to have a red letter Bible, uh, a Bible that has Jesus' words in red letters, you probably noticed that where we stopped last week was not the end of Jesus talking. He kept going. And we're going to look at those next few um, verses from uh, starting in verse 27. Uh, before we get there, you know, Jesus is truly the best-known teacher, the best-known philosopher, if you will. We know he's more than that. But the best-known teacher and philosopher of all time, and he never wrote a single word that we know about. We know one time he wrote in the sand, but we don't know exactly what that was. And he said really very little about himself. Now, in these next few verses that we're going to dwell on today, these are some of the only autobiographical words that Jesus gives us that he ever uttered. 
The first is about his relationship with God, and the second is about his relationship with us. Let's look, starting at verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now back in verse 25, just a couple of verses up, if you got your Bible, you might want to look there. We see that Jesus identifies who it is that he calls Father. In fact, this is what he said. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now, we've talked about that word Lord a good bit. In fact, John 15, that word master that we read during the communion meditation, it's exactly the same word as the word Lord. Do you hear what he's saying? God has undisputable possession of heaven and earth. Uh, Let me ask you this. Is the earth bigger than we are? Is the heavens, the universe, bigger than the earth? So why would it be a strange thing for us to think that he would be our Lord? If he is Lord of all, he should be our Lord as well. What's interesting though is he doesn't force us to accept him. But he gives us the opportunity to accept him. Historically, that concept of lordship combines two elements, the idea of power and authority. And Lord God created us by his absolute power and in absolute authority. Yet you know what's interesting? To bow before him is to gain freedom from bondage. We'll talk more about that. Jesus, after establishing the fact that he is our link to God, says this, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You may remember from some older translations, it's weary and heavy laden. Yes? You remember that? I can't read this without thinking heavy laden. That idea of burden, I get that, but heavy laden. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. By the way, if you look on the connection card, that's your memory verse for this week. Verse 28. Take your yoke upon, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest 
for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This works on several different levels. Just in thinking about it myself, I think about one of those areas as a comparison between the heavy yoke that was placed upon the Jews by the Pharisees that is characterized by the keeping of the law. And you know the Pharisees weren't looking at the spirit of the law as much as they were the letter of the law. When God said to tithe 10%, people brought that in. The Pharisees would go all the way down to even giving 10% of their spices not understanding what was really being asked. Compare that to a different kind of yoke that Jesus places upon us that is characterized by agape, characterized by an other-focused kind of love. The second level is a little bit more personal. You know, Jesus says, no one knows the Father but the Son. And then he says, he wants us to know who the who he is so he can reveal the Father to us. No one knows the Father, but if you come to me, I will show you who the real Lord of the universe is. And this word come, um, it is, it's actually an imperative. It is a command and an invitation. It's not just an open thing. It is something he is drawing us to. There's an emphasis there. Let me ask you a question. That idea of being burdened and being heavy laden. How how is it that we get weary? It's from, from trying to bear the load by ourselves, isn't it? Trying to juggle all of life's challenges all on our own. And trying to understand what eternity actually is. You know, before Christ, there are questions that come up like, What is life all about? Does my life have meaning or am I just another brick in the wall? Am I just another cog in a machine that I don't have any clue where it's running or how it's going to end? And that's another question. What's going to happen after this life? Am I really dead and gone? Is my consciousness no longer around? Or do I have a soul? And what happens with that? After we come to Christ, our refreshment. Think about that. When you think about the word of refreshment, what do you think about? What, a drink of water? Yeah, that can be very refreshing. Say like, um, I'm a man, so I talk from a man's standpoint. 
you've been out mowing the lawn, it's been hot and sweaty, the, 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 uh, the riding lawnmower's broken so you have to push it and you're just covered and all and, and uh, you get close to being done and all of a sudden your wife, your child comes out with a nice glass of ice cold lemonade. And they put a chair up under a tree and you go over and you sit down and you take a sip of that lemonade and it just quenches your thirst and in the shade and it's refreshing. Yes? If I thought like a woman, I I might be more along the lines of feeling all of the burdens that are happening and having to wash the dishes and do the clothes and pick up the house and all of that, and you're out getting the groceries, and when you come home, you find out, oh, my, my husband made the bed, and the laundry isn't all over the floor or in the hamper. It's in the dryer, and the sink is clear. Now, ladies, would you call that refreshment? Amen or amen? Amen. refreshment Revelation 14 13 Jesus John writing then I heard a voice from heaven say write blessed are the dead who die in the Lord for now on yes says the spirit for they will what they will rest from their labor why for their Deeds follow them. You see, following Jesus is a a recipe for being refreshed. Because Jesus offers refreshment. He offers to take that burden of, am I good enough? By saying, no. But I am. Let me handle your load of cares. Isn't it funny how Christians, we still feel the burdens? The burdens of providing for our families, of keeping relationships going, burdens of guilt, of shame, of broken memories, of how we once were that still haunt us the burden of feeling that we just don't measure up somehow and you see friends Jesus calls us from the midst of that space and tells us two things he says take my yoke and learn from me Two key ideas for a successful Christian life. Listen up. Take on no other burden than what the Lord lays upon you. Take up no other burden than what the Lord lays upon you. You know, some people just seem to be able to ignore burdens, but for many, if not 
really most of us, we feel the weight of responsibility, whether it's to family or to our church or to work or to even our, our friends. But I would challenge you before you take on burdens and you say yes to that, that you stop and you ask, Lord, is this of you? Is this something I need to bear? This is something that I struggle with as, as a counselor. Often as a counselor, I want to empathize with people and I find myself becoming engrossed in what they are talking about. And yet, I can't take on somebody else's struggle. I can help them. I can help move them. But if I take on the struggle of every person that I try to help, that's a huge weight that Jesus is equipped to handle, not Eric. I just can't do that. But Christ does take our burdens willingly when we let him. He is the one that can give, that we can give our burdens, our heartache, our despair, our grief, anything that troubles our lives. But friends, once you give it to him, leave it there. So, don't take on any other burden except that what the Lord lays upon you. And instead, focus your efforts on becoming like Him. Maybe you've heard this phrase, become like Jesus so that you can love like Jesus. Have you heard that? Good. If you haven't, it's worth writing down. I'll say it again. Become like Jesus so you can love like Jesus. And what is he like? Well, in these autobiographical statements, Jesus describes himself really not as Messiah. He is. But he describes himself by two characteristics. He describes himself with gentleness and humbleness. Now, gentleness to the Greeks was, back in Jesus' day, was, was seen as a vice, a, a um, faked kindness that somebody would do in order to try to gain personally from that exchange. And yet here Jesus raises the idea of gentleness to a virtue. Consider this. All the way back in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5 is what? Sermon on the Mount, right? You hear Matthew 5, 6, or 7, you should be thinking Sermon on the Mount. In the very beginning of that, he says this. 
he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You remember that? Remember him saying that? Meekness. You've heard this before. You've, y'all have studied this. What's meekness? Simple definition, three words. Meekness is strength under control, right? Strength under control. You know, I think about those great big draft horses whose shoulders are this high that are used to pull great big old, okay. You're thinking about the Budweiser Clydesdales, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, think about that. This massive rippling bundle of strength that is controlled by a thin leather strap and the gentle movement of the driver. That horse is strength under control, yes? You know what's interesting? The word in Matthew 5 that is translated as meek is exactly the same word in Matthew 11 that's translated gentle. It's exactly the same word. You see, gentleness is not the idea of weakness, but bridled strength. A gentleness chosen because of love. Humbleness is literally to be a base, to be of a low estate. I think about this word and I think about Charlotte's Web. Any of y'all remember Charlotte's Web? Anybody read the book in here? Yeah, yeah. I saw the cartoon. Charlotte's a little spider, right? In the barnyard, Wilbur the pig is destined for for bacon. Yes. <laughs> I was trying not to use that word, but since you did. He, he's looking at a, a, a very short life. And Charlotte, out of the goodness of her heart, is trying to help him. And she writes things in her web about Wilbur. And she's trying to think of some words to describe him. And she says, well, how about the word humble? You know what it means? Humble means low to the ground. And she writes, Wilbur, the humble pig, right? Low to the ground. Well, do you realize that you get low to the ground by bowing? By making you less than the person that you are humbling yourself in front of? As we realize who we are and who God is, we should be humbled daily. When we start thinking that we're something special in and of ourselves, we have forgotten who we are compared to who the real Lord of the universe is. Another thing we learn in here is following Jesus is not 
a free ride. You notice he doesn't say, throw off all yokes. He said, take my yoke. So we ought to ask the question, what is the yoke of the Lord? Well, if you want a specific verse, we found out in John 15, 12 through 17 earlier. You can see it in Romans 13. You can see it in 1 Peter 1. You can see it in 1 John. You can see it in 2 John. It is the Lord's command to learn to love one another as I love you. The yoke is translated as easy. And that's kind of a traditional translation, and it rolls off the tongue, but we kind of roll right past it. That same word in other places, and here might even be better translated as mild or kind or helpful. Because you see, it's a, it's a good yoke. A yoke destined to help and to aid both ourselves as we wear it and others as we work for Christ alongside of him. Now I know some of y'all know the word yoke. You've seen it before. The ancients always plowed with oxen in pairs. And that, that yoke is that, that bar, that frame that... Uh, couples those two together. So a yoke is, is a coupling. In oxen, it's that wooden shoulder piece that goes over the shoulders of both animals. And oftentimes, you would have a strong, seasoned bull who was paired with a young, inexperienced bull to learn. And they are weaker. So what happens is the other bull takes on most of the work as the young one learns. Let me ask you this, friends. Whose shoulders are broader, yours or the Lord's? Do you realize he wants to carry your burdens? but you have to let him? What do you expect God to be like? That's kind of the question of John the Baptist when you stop to think about it. Do you see him as, as a judge, as a stern father, as a distant ruler? Or is he a gentle, lowly helper? willing to walk alongside of you in this life each and every day, helping you to shoulder your burdens and guide you. So we spent the last two weeks looking at this. And we come down to the question, 
what does this description about Jesus tell us about God? One clear thing it tells us is about God's character. God's character is love, agape, and tenderness. Yet we tend to see him as an angry judge, uh, condemning sinners to hell. I sometimes think that's the only picture that we have. It reminds me of Jonathan Edwards, a great revivalist 200 years ago who would talk about sinners in the hand of an angry God and give a description of a spider dropped from his web over a fire and that that fire is just going to simply consume them as they fall into the hands of an angry God. And yet God took the time to reveal his true character to us through Jesus in his life. A character that is gentle and humble and wants to ease our burdens and provide rest. That, folks, that is your God. So how do we reconcile the two, that image and this other image of an angry God? I think God does get angry. I think God gets angry at sin because he knows it is a foreign invader. He knows that sin and disobedience will only cause us harm. Sin is a disease and God reacts as a father would react to a kid who is sick. Think about it. Don't we as parents have the strongest reactions when something threatens to hurt our children? Don't we strike out in anger, a, a righteous anger at what it is that could harm our kids? Don't we want to remove that thing that's causing them harm? Even if our kids don't understand why we're doing it? You see, friend, God's actions are always motivated by love, by agape. He gives you free will out of his love, out of his agape. And he knows when we exercise that, we choose a path and a life that is away from him. So what did he do? He made a way for us to come back to him. Even his discipline is motivated by love. It was God who sent Jesus to the earth, who sent him to the cross, who kept him there until he died and raised 
Jesus from the grave, making sure that we knew and know that there is freedom and more to life than what we see in this realm. That love calls us today to come to him. All of us who are weary and heavy laden, he calls us to find rest in him. Father God, we thank you for the Christ, for the things that he taught, for his patience, and Father, for his truth, for his unswerving desire to bring all men and women to him, and for him loving us enough to let us know what the alternatives are. And we thank you, Father, for reminding us of your love and that we can trust you and that if we will allow it, that you will help us carry the burdens of this life. Thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.